Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 14, Heart of Stone, teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear and directed by Alexander Singer. This episode aired on February 6, 1995. I was really debating... Um doing a really bad share impression because of you know the whole like heart of stone thing but i don't want to expose all of our listeners to my really bad share impression so i won't this week on deep space nine while searching for a maquis raider on an unstable moon kira is trapped in an expanding crystal formation that threatens to engulf her if odo cannot set her free Meanwhile, Nog attempts to persuade a skeptical Commander Sisko to write him a letter of recommendation to join Starfleet Academy. We'll start this podcast in the same place we start most of our podcasts. Elise, did you or did you not remember this episode? So I definitely remembered the B-plot with Nog and Sisko. Um, But as the episode went on and Kira was stuck in that thing, the crystal, and having that deep conversation with Odo, I remembered that it wasn't really her. (laughs) Um, I was watching it with AJ on Friday, and I was like, okay, I don't remember officially, but I'm pretty sure that's not actually Kira. And he was like, he remembered, but wouldn't tell me, so. But I knew I was right. Mm. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, this is like an interesting episode for me, um, only because it was kind of one of those that when I sat down to watch the episode this week in anticipation of us recording this podcast, I'm like, oh, it's this one. It's the Kira gets but it, trapped in the rock, but it's the female changeling, and this is where the show, like, makes... Hi, Ellie. The show <laughs> makes text that Odo loves Kira because it had, like, flirted around with it before, and, like, this is the episode where there's this contrivance to get Odo to say it out loud. Um... What I had forgotten is that the B story, again, I remembered the Nog B story, but I didn't remember that it was in the same episode. And I ended up enjoying this this episode more than I anticipated when I sat down to watch it, despite knowing the twist and everything else. Um, Largely because I really liked the Nog plot. Yeah. Or most of the Nog plot, but we'll get into that. And like, well, I don't love the plot contrivances in the A plot, the air quotes Kira and Odo stuff. Um, a lot of those scenes are really well acted. Yeah, that's, so, that's what I thought as well. Yeah, and so like, why well, I was kind of I was like, Ugh, do I really want to watch this episode or do I want to try and fake it? And I'm please really do glad not that ever fake I it. sat I down be, to watch it. Please don't fake it. I'll be so mad at you if you told me that. Um, I don't have a reason to be mad at you about it but i would just letting you know (laughs) (laughs) i'd be being unreasonable but it would it would happen the closest i've gotten to faking it i don't even remember which episode it was but i watched set i think like two-thirds to set three quarters of the episode and we had a guest that week and i just ran out of time to finish the like final act or whatever so i'm like it'll be fine it was never not watched the episode totally (laughs) yeah 
I would never not watch it if it was just the two of us there. That, that's my <laughs> commitment to you, Elise, and to you, dear listeners. I don't know if that's good enough for me, but like, I guess I'll have to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did also agree that the acting was really strong in this episode. Um, although I felt so bad for Nana having to like hold her arms up that like whole time. I mean, obviously, she, like, got to put them down between takes, but in my mind, she's just holding her arms up for, like, hours, and that looked painful. Well, and I anticipate a lot of that pain was real, because Nana suffers from claustrophobia, right? and has commented that, for obvious reasons, she found this episode extremely difficult to film, because, quote, I thought the prop they used to encase me was, like, an awful choice. So it's just like when I don't know if they knew whether Nana was claustrophobic or not. And I mean, hopefully had she not been willing to to do it, she would have said something. They would have made like other accommodations. Right. I don't Because it I like don't know. almost my, goes my little... up to like her neck. Like it, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. it was it was making me very uncomfortable. I'm a little claustrophobic as well. Um, so that was really kind of hard to watch, actually. I was just impressed. And what's even interesting about that rock, like the crystal prop, is that it was, no one really liked it, um, <laughs> both the cast and crew. Um, Iris Even Bear, who, as we talked about, was the credited writer on the episode, put a pin in that, we'll talk about that shortly, um, commented in the Deep Space Nine Companion, it didn't look like I imagined it when I read, I said, no, sorry, quote, that was the not talking. What Iris said was, quote, it was a horrible, horrible prop of a rock. And then what Nana said about it in the Deep Space Nine Companion as well. It didn't look like I imagined it when I read the script. I thought it was going to be like my body turning to stone. Instead, I looked like a big old hot fudge sundae and my head was the cherry on top. Director Alexander Singer said, nothing made the pinkish lavender rock look more realistic. While visual effects supervisor Glenn Neufeld claimed the actual shooting of the rock that pretty much none of it worked. So, um, yeah, I think it would have been more interesting if, like, Nana had had grayscale and, like, was oh, turning right. into, like, a rock person um, or, like, a statue or something like that. Well, at the end, grayscale she could being, be, like, uh, a swath reference. <laughs> at the end, she could be, like, what's his face from the Fantastic Four? <laughs> the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm really bad with their names. I never remember. I've seen, like, all the, those movies and I never remember any of their names, any of the Fantastic Fours. And I guess like kind of like the final initial thought, I guess, before we kind of dive into the the B plot and then the A plot is this episode is a bottle episode. We've talked about bottle episodes before, which are episodes that completely take place on existing sets and stages. And normally, you know, you think maybe it's just set on the ship or the station or obviously they had the existing like planet set that they used as, as the moon for this one. And then the thing about bottle shows is they're nice for production because you don't need anything new. You're using all your existing sets, all your existing costumes, and it's a good way to kind of stretch your production Mm -hmm. budget for the season. And this one as a bottle episode was somewhat of a necessity because they had just done the past tense two parter, which Karen and I covered a couple weeks ago. And so they're like, we need to save some money. And then this episode came from that. And I think despite the bad prop rock and again, some of my other, 
concerns of the episode. I think I'm mostly. I'm laughing at the way you says you say prop rock reminds me of like prog rock or something, and it just really works. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, I know bottle episodes are more mostly relating to the set, but I was really excited that we got Rom in this episode, who we haven't seen in a little bit. I feel like, um, but I want to get more into that as while well, we when we discuss uh, Nog's storyline. But it was just, it's always exciting to see Rom for me. Fellow, fellow Aries. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and like, let's, I guess as we pivot to then talk about the the Nog plot, here we are kind of rounding the corner into like the end of season three of DS9's seven season run. And I know we've talked about this with, with Dax before earlier this season, but, like, I'm really starting to recognize the Ferengi characters, right? As as who they are, where the, you know, or who they are and then potentially grow and change or, or not. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens when we get there. Um, of when I think of these characters, when I think of Nog, when I think of Rom specifically. Because... I think Quark they kind of had had nailed from the start. Yeah, to, yeah, you for know, sure. He was one of the first characters that they had nailed. Um, yeah, I would agree. The Nog that I feel like we see in this episode is not still not really the Nog that like I know and love. But it's exciting to see him nonetheless. Like he hasn't fully like gotten into his romness. Yeah, and I I think what really struck me and why I kind of like not kind of why I do think. I like doing this podcast and going episode by episode is not only as we approach, you know, the, the more serialization. And I think this is definitely an episode that in some ways it's kind of the Avengers age of Ultron in a lot of ways where it's like, you can see the, the points and, and where they're going and everything else. Um, and kind of it picking up other points. Listeners, but this... hold on. I just need to let everyone know we were talking about James Spader right before we were recording. So this Age of Ultron uh, reference is really working for me. Continue. <laughs> but in like pivoting some of these characters, and this I think marks a pretty potentially significant shift in Nog. Yeah. It's not the Nog we saw last week who was being the gross like performative like misogynistic Ferengi on the on the double date with um with Jake right and I literally as I was watching it I'm like this is more who I think Nog is or what like leads to like the Nog I remember but this is one week after that other episode like in life support where they're supposed to be the light B plot and it's just like drenched in like no satire just misogyny and it's just i don't know it's like they were still i was trying to think of what the difference is or what the main difference is and i th- honestly think it comes down to ira Stephen bear because ira as the showrunner of deep space nine once michael pillar left to work on voyager um he and armin shimmerman rescued the ferengi from the major caricature that Mm -hmm. they were and the joke that they were ultimately in next generation yeah um and i think ira has a level of respect for the ferengi characters that not 
all the writers necessarily do. And again, like this isn't to like excuse when the Ferengi don't work because when they don't work, it's bad. But the idea of the pathos that Nog has here and even Rom by extension and Nog wanting to break that kind of cycle of ultimately like, you know, the humiliation of Ferengi capitalism and the way it's been subjected to his father on his father. And, you know, his Rom never got the opportunities that Nog wants to because he tried to be quote unquote a good Ferengi. It's just that all really, really works for me. Yeah. I had forgotten what Nog's motivation was in this episode. Um, So when they had kind of, they showed that scene at the beginning where, you know, Quark is telling Rom what to do and he's just doing it. And Nog is a lot more vocal than his, than his father is. And I just, it made me, it just made me so sad, but like in a capitalism destroys all of us kind of way, um, Obviously, in the episode, Nog blames it on the, their lobes, having the lobes or not having the lobes. But, like, to me, I just saw it as, like, an, just kind of, whether intended or not, just commentary on how shitty capitalism is. Um, that being said, I did really enjoy learning about the Ferengi attainment ceremony, which um, it, it kind of the impetus for this um for Nog going into Cisco's office with this Latinum because he wants to buy an apprenticeship um, instead of, like, doing something Ferengi, like, buying into a, a, a trade of some sort. Yeah. He wants to do Starfleet, and he... And I almost... It almost felt like... I forget how old Nog is supposed to be, but, like, I almost likened it to, like... A little bit older than Jake, okay. so he's probably, like... If Jake's like sixteen-ish now, because he's probably what like fourteen-ish in season one. Yeah, he, um, and he's definitely sixteen now because he Cisco mentioned oh, that right. when he was dating, dating Marta. Our... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he's probably like eighteen, nineteen. Okay, it felt like a Ferengi version of like a bar mitzvah almost. Like you're doing this thing to like join the community, um, but at the same time, that feels very icky on a level since they're like. There's money involved. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's money involved with a bar mitzvah. The bar mitzvah boy gets presents um, and money usually, depending on uh, who you invite to those <laughs> events. But like, it was just, it just felt like uh, like a coming of age thing where you get to make your own cho- choices. And that was kind of nice to me. And then I was like, am I being anti-Semitic about this? Or is the show... And I didn't really have an answer for that. Yeah, I think, like, lots of cultures have a coming-of-age, like, ritual or, or rites, whether it be, you know, lots of cultures or, or faith traditions, etc. So, like, I don't think... And again, I'm the Gentile on this podcast. So, your read is incredibly is of course valid i just want to affirm that (laughs) um and yeah it's that whole like schrodinger's anti-semitism when it comes to the ferengi and training those tropes i think it was worse um in tng uh roddenberry has some not great comments about 
Jewish folks. And I definitely think it comes across as more blatantly anti-Semitic yeah. early on in, yeah. in Next Generation. I, I agree completely. Armin, as the like president of the Ferengi Club <laughs> on Deep Space Nine is Quark, is Jewish. Iris Stephen Bear is Jewish. Yeah. As the writer of this episode. So like, is it totally possible that like he's reaching into his his background in that i'm sure he is yeah but yeah so it's 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 like complicated because it's like that if that's i don't think that's the authorial intent but could someone take that reading out of it like a bad faith reading? yeah like i definitely think i definitely think it was done with love and um and like out of like excitement or whatever um i don't think that they would have done that i don't think ira would have done that negatively um but, like, I agree with you completely. The way that the Ferengi are portrayed in TNG, especially early on, it, it's, like, I mean, it's so stereotypical to, like, the idea of, like, these rich Jewish people that are just going to take all of your money. Like, that is just feels, and, like, they're, they act so, like, bumbling. And it's, just like, they're almost portrayed just as, like, goblins, and it's just really gross. We don't like it. And I think that the Ferengi in Deep Space Nine have the real stories and real character arcs and they're real characters. And it just, you know what? If they're Jewish, I'm okay with it because they, it's, I, I'm not saying that this is right or wrong, but it almost feels like how like you can make fun of your own people sometimes. And then like, if someone else does it, it's usually offensive or could be offensive like you know it doesn't bother me because i know that ira is jewish i guess but that's not saying that would like alleviate all sins or anything like that but for this episode it, it that part works fine for me yeah we'll say sa- we'll save the indictment for <laughs> when we force ourselves to watch profit and lease yeah podcast in a couple we won't seasons. be as nice um yeah i'm been dreading that since we agreed to do this project i skipped it on my last rewatch anyways if you're following along for the first time file that away for x amount of years down the road (laughs) um this episode really made me miss aaron eisenberg yeah um Mm. who like tragically passed away a couple years ago he's just so good in this episode yeah he is really good how did you feel when both jake and cisco like doubted him that broke my heart. I know. It just, like, I hate not being taken seriously and, like, to see it to happen to someone else just, it sucks. Yeah. Like, I know he's always up to his schemes and stuff like that, but, like, I don't know. I don't think Cisco should have been as surprised. Well, and, like, even even Dax when is surprised when Cisco kind of decides to give Nog the opportunity to kind of, like, prove his worth with yeah. the inventorying of the cargo bay. Dax is even like, I've always thought it'd be interesting to have a Frankie in Starfleet. But, but Nog? Nog? It's like, I was so yeah. mad at her. <laughs> I was like, girl, don't be so judgmental. <laughs> you had a couple um, thoughts that you, or things that you'd written in the notes about how Aaron felt about the episode. Do you want to get into that? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So this is coming from the article in For a Penny and For a Pound from the Star Trek, the official fan club of the United Kingdom magazine, issue eight. Um, And this is the late Aaron Eisenberg talking about this episode. 
Avery Brooks is awesome. He has such presence. There's a power behind his eyes. How can I explain it? He gives to he gives to you when he looks in your eyes. He doesn't just look at your eyes, but he looks in your eyes and feeds you. This was a scene we had rehearsed, but as soon as we shot it, he unexpectedly grabbed my shoulders and said, Tell me, Nog, what is it? And it was awesome because it forced me to come up to that level. I didn't back down. I blurted out, Because I don't want to be like my father! He's so professional. This was my favorite scene. It finally gave me, as an actor, something to really think about and deal with. It was emotional, and we really got to see the heart of Nog. Also as an actor, I really had to come I really had to come from a place and not just be on the surface. I was very well prepared when I did it. I didn't have any problems with the lines and I was very proud of myself. That's very sweet. It's a really powerful scene and both Brooks and Eisenberg are very good in it. I think one of my only kind of notes about it is like it's a well-acted scene and I can like, it has those levels that it builds up to that, that revelation, which is like Avery Brooks being the experienced, talented direct, also director, talented actor and director that he is like, he's building on levels to that, to that reservate, that, that emotional revelation from Nog that that's so core to Nog as a character. Um, the tactic of where it starts um, where Cisco is basically working on breaking Nog down to get him to like reveal that kind of reminded me a little bit of like military basic training where you're like the whole intent of it is to make you feel like you're not as hot shit as you think you are right. and they break you down so they can remake you. I don't think that's necessarily totally like cisco's intense i just don't know if like as much as i think the scene is incredibly well acted and powerful i don't know if i liked the way ben approached that conversation i don't know what did you think it's really funny and i know that this is not the intent at all but it just reminded me of like watching um when charlotte on sex in the city was trying to like convert to judaism and the the rabbi made her ass like three times and I just feel like, was he just giving him, like, a hard time so that he can, like, see that he was really interested in it? Or in, like, the same way where you're, like, you have to make sure that the person really wants it. But I'm, like, it's just Starfleet, not, like, a religion change. Or I guess, I don't know. Maybe it is that different. And I didn't... I just... I thought Cisco was just being a dick, actually. Um, a lot of this episode to nog um i don't know i didn't love it but it did make me think of that like he made him like he kept having to like prove that he was serious yeah i'm still thinking of that line reading of because i don't want to be like my father yeah it's interesting like normally when podcasting and it gets silent i get like anxious but like i felt like we both just needed like a moment to sit with that (laughs) and that's okay well, and that's the beauty of editing. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like... It will be less long. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, normally I I rush to fill in the, the quiet spaces when we're podcasting, I think. Um, but I didn't feel the need to do that today. Although, then I explained myself, so I did it anyway. <laughs> but anyway. And I think what's really cool about 
not just not wanting to kind of like break that cycle is the ways in which Rom is like a gold star dad here and like backs him up against yeah. like Quark that, being bravado like and saying that. you're not gonna join Starfleet blah 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 and Rom basically says yeah you're in charge of the bar you're not in charge of my son I'd be so proud to have my son in Starfleet or whatever and it's like Rom knows why Nog wants to join they may have never talked about it but yeah Rom isn't stupid yeah he may be shy and doesn't speak up for himself but he's he knows what's going on yeah yeah I very much look forward I mean I don't think this is a spoiler to say that Nog and Rom both get a lot they still get a lot to do going forward and I look forward to seeing both of them progress in their characterizations I really did like the B plot me too I really like the Nog stuff I'm a little more lukewarm on the Odo Kira stuff, but I think those scenes are really strong. And I think when I made the reference earlier in this recording to the second Avengers movie and it being this like ship at this point in their franchise where they were shifting gears or, or shifting modes from early Marvel Cinematic Universe to, you know, leading up to what it what it became over the next subsequent years after that this episode feels like that for me with Odo because now what was subtext the writers were exploring is now a textual part of Odo's character um and this episode also follows up on the promise that the female changeling gave Odo at the end of the search part two where she said she would visit him and she does in this episode and she's the whole idea of this setup was to find out why Odo chose the solids over his own people. And yeah, like, I guess there's a level of tragedy here. This whole, like, Odo loves her, but loves her from afar and, like, you know, chose to, like, be with her over his people. And, like, that's the part I was kind of like, yeah, whatever about, like, going into rewatching this episode. But where. I think see the two best performances in this episode are like actors that we've lost in the last six years, which is kind of kind of, I think adds a certain kind of heaviness and melancholy to this recording. But Renee Aubergenois who plays Odo in this episode is just so good. Even through all the prosthetics, like what Renee could do with his eyes. Yeah. As he talks about like just the name stuff was really good. And like when he talks about not just Kira saying his name, and the meaning to it but when miles says it or julian or, or like anyone and stuff there, like the idea of like the community that odo has found in deep space nine even having been an outsider up until that point it's just yeah that's that's the stuff i didn't remember from this plot and that's the stuff that like hits me a little bit more i did not remember that we learned a little bit about Odo's name. Um, I did not remember that Odo sticks up for himself a little bit in this episode. Um, When we first have him and Kira in the scene um, in the Mekong, like, bickering a little bit, and he, like, he says to her, why did you decline that invitation we got? Like, you didn't even ask me. And she's like, you don't like to, you can't eat and you don't like socializing. And I I understand where she's coming from, but like Odo is still a being. 
he should still get to make his own choice about what he wants to do. So it would have been really nice if she consulted him or let him ask, or sorry, let him answer. Um, and we also get to learn that he's been spending time with O'Brien in the hollow suite learning of kayaking. Like, I completely forgot that that was something we ever learned about Odo. Um, I bet O'Brien loves that time. They probably have a blast together. The parts of the, the plot that didn't work for me is that I I understand that faux um, Kira is egging him on a lot in the conversation they have where he admits his feelings, but I can't, I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that Barail like literally died last week. I mean, just died. Yeah. yeah like maybe a wait a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I joked that it almost felt like the um the female changeling was like doing some sort of like romantic entrapment on him or something that is a term i literally just made up um i don't mean it in like a you know poked a hole in like a condom kind of way um but yeah like it just it just i'm exhausted by the fact that renee had this amazing scene and kira doesn't and like he did so well and kira like didn't actually doesn't at the end of the episode she doesn't actually know any of it because that wasn't her like that exhausts me yeah and i like i think the episode wants to like play that as kind of like part of the like tragedy of the episode and it just i don't know it just bumps me out man it's not like i don't know it's not like capital R like romantic to me or like this kind of grand melodramatic melodrama tragedy it just just bums me out yeah I wanted to talk a little bit more about you know the the history of Otto's name and it like being a derivative of his original classification before Dr. Mora and the other scientists knew he was sentient and a, a changeling and et cetera, et cetera. But like his name literally means nothing. Yeah. Like he is nothing. And like he shortened it from Odo Ital to like Odo and like has been carrying that around. Like, what does my name mean? Nothing. I am nothing. I don't fit. And then when he's talking about still keeping that name, but then again, finding that community it's just that was probably my favorite Odo moment of the series that we've seen so far. And it's just so powerful to me. And like the idea, like just even like the power of our names and what that that means. And I like I started thinking on, you know, chosen names versus birth names and just kind of I don't know. I just my mind went to some places <laughs> watching this the other day. Yeah. And it's just yeah. I think I think that some of that that stuff I'm glad we have this episode for but I agree with you that it just bums me out that it, like it's not for nothing cuz we as the audience now know this about Odo but he wasn't talking to us even though he was kind of talking to us like yeah I don't know I mean we're the only ones that gained this knowledge really except for the changeling lady um yeah it's I just I can't imagine how Odo would feel knowing he had, he said all of those things that he had been bottling up inside, thinking that Kira was hearing them, and then she wasn't. Like, I hope he feels relief that he said it at all, like, for sure. 
But at the same time, it's like you think you're bearing your soul to someone and then like, oops, now you like, do you then tell that person all that stuff or just leave it alone? <laughs> I mean, obviously, I don't think he would like tell her the I'm in love with you part, but like, I don't know, I, wa- I wonder if he ever tells her about her his name like off camera somewhere that we didn't never know about. Probably not. I was talking semi-related. I was talking to our friend um, Tessa, and um, Tessa and Sam went to see Pearl Jam this weekend, and they played the song Nothing Man, which I I don't remember if Tessa says that they very rarely play or they never play that, and so I was listening to that before we recorded, and I just decided that that song um, is about Odo, and it's a beautiful song. It's on their third album, Vitology, if anyone is interested. It's good. But yeah, it like, I'm trying to think, hold on. Nah, I was going to like read lyrics, but I don't want to. I know we get a lot of scenes where like, they may not have all happened yet, like, but we do get scenes where like O'Brien and Bashir are like doing their hollow sweet stuff. And I just like would love if like Odo got to hang out with them sometimes or if we saw some like O'Brien Odo hangouts. I guess light, 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 light spoilers. And, like, it it was fun to hear the kayaking program and the shoulder dislocations being referenced from, you know, being a thing on, on TNG with O'Brien. Right. But when we do kind of start seeing O'Brien in, in the holodeck more, it's a different program because I think it's a lot cheaper to do, not to take them kayaking for one sequence. <laughs> <laughs> was there... Anything else you wanted to, to mention? No, I don't have anything else to say about the episode at large. I also don't really have... It wasn't a particularly thirsty episode for me. Do you have a no. Altair Water Thirst Quencher for this week? Um, I mean, I'm parched like IRL, but, not, but no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and as far as most Star Trek thing, the only thing I could think of was, I mean, obviously it's a bottle episode, so these are all sets and stuff that we've we've seen before, aside for the prop rock. Um, that was new and unfortunate. Um, <laughs> but we are in a cave that is collapsing and rocks falling down. Yeah. And like, I feel like that happens a lot on Star Trek. I mean, it even happened in, like, I was just thinking as we, it happened in Move Along Home that we... It's probably the same set. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will just say the most Star Trek thing is that, like, something that happened in the episode wasn't really happening. And so, like, at the end, there was, like, you know, like, Kira obviously, like, was not there for all of that stuff that Oda said. So, like, that just feels very Star Trek also. Like, oh, just kidding. Well, until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at Maddie Hugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at PodWraiths, and you can email us at PodWraiths at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song, and thank you to our editor, Melissa. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.